Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight. Visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Nine. The phone rang, and the phone rang. Its endless repetition was the perfect companion to Alex's state of mind. He was suspended inside a vortex of questions, many of them barely expressible in words, all asking themselves over and over. So much of what he knew about himself, his life, and his family, had been upended, and he could see only a blank mystery that stretched back far beyond his birth to the astonishing arrival of his mother as a little girl at the very school within whose walls he now stood. The mind has a way of finding coincidences. He was still trying to understand the sensitivity brought on by Philibert's machine, how it allowed him to see the world in a different way. But this was different. He was a part of this story, and had been for all his life, without even knowing it. But his mother had known, she had kept it tucked away, like so many of the other things she would not speak of when it came to Germany. The phone rang and the phone rang. Finally, felt a gentle grip on his hand. Elisa lowered the phone to its cradle. She's not home, Alex. She could be anywhere, shopping, a walk in the park. She does not know what you have learned, does not know how it has upset you. It is okay, you will speak with her soon. Uncle Herbert, too, was not answering his phone, which was unusual. It was still barely breakfast time in Arizona, and Uncle was not known for early starts. Finally, Alex let go of the phone. It was futile and he did not even know what question he would ask first. Instead, he sunk into a hard wooden chair and reminisced. When I saw it, it was an old newspaper, like something that had been torn out. Just her and a couple of kids and that teacher. She had hidden it away in a drawer. I didn't think much of it, but I kept coming back to look at it. Elisa had assembled a formidable pile of folders and papers from the school's filing cabinets in front of her, but she deliberately closed the top folder and gave Alex all her attention. Why? People always told us that we looked alike, which you wouldn't think is weird, except that I was adopted. But that picture... Alex looked up now, and his face betrayed all the desperate confusion he felt. The way she looked as a child was so much like me. I couldn't let it go. I guess I had this fantasy that she really was my mother, and that somehow we'd just gotten separated. I was going through some stuff. My therapist said I was trying to deny the idea of abandonment. It was easier to think that she'd just sent me away for a bit, and then came back to claim me. If she... I mean, if she was here, that meant that she had potential, right? Someone thought she might be like us, and you said it's genetic, so... Elisa reached out to his arm, 
and he could feel a soothing steadiness flow into him. He calmed just enough to see the intensity of her concern. Finally she spoke. Alex, you run ahead of your horse. You know the expression, yes? I believe there is a story here to uncover, but there are so many stories it could be. The files identify the girl in the photo as Claramond Proschler. That's not right. Her name's Katarina. She told you her name was Katarina. Maybe she changed her name. Maybe she's not a girl in the picture, but Claramond is your mother. Or maybe Claramond is nobody at all to you. You must understand that what is possible or what is exciting cannot cloud what we know, which is very little. Her voice was low and steady, but never patronizing, and gradually Alex saw the truth in what she said. I just need answers, he offered, feeling that those words were perhaps the most vulnerable he had ever uttered in his life. Elisa gave his arm a final squeeze. Then we must work. This is one of my real talents, remember? Research. She dropped a pile of folders in front of him. What does that look like? Alex finally found a half-smile. Homework. No, it's an adventure. Now, let's get to it. Andreas watched the children play through the window of the tavern across the road. He sipped slowly at a cool beer, and tried to determine the hierarchy of the group by their patterns of movement. Authority would go to the older children and the larger ones, through ordinary primal intimidation. Andreas, however, always found the people who had learned to carve out their niche through other, subtler signals more interesting. These schoolchildren seemed unusual. First he had noticed a number of twin siblings, and he did not fail to wonder if his escorts had once been students here. Second, they did not play in the usual patterns, running and grabbing and circling the way he considered normal. They seemed serene, functional in a way that operates on a level he couldn't see. There were still the nonsense contests, the exuberant exertions, but none of it ever seemed to trigger any emotional overreaction. The group seemed to just process these things out before they could lead to confrontation. Elisa showed the same unusual calm and balance for one so young. She had been the focus for so much of his life these past ten years, and he mused abstractedly, that his memory for the details of her life went far beyond the strategic demands of his assignment. Knowing her filled the time, that was all. The twin to his right, the other had left for the washroom, stood with clumsy abruptness, an air of sudden scrambling panic. It was the first seemingly spontaneous act Andreas had ever seen either of the strange men take. The twin took one step and then froze, clapping his hands to the sides of his head and making a horrible face. He cried out and ran for the back hallway. Andreas set down his beer, removed his jacket, and followed unconsciously 
loosening his joints as he walked. He found both twins in the doorway to the restroom, one slumped and cradled in the other's arms. Their foreheads were pressed together, and the uninjured one was pleading an endless prayer as the others gurgled wetly. Andrea studied the surroundings. The bathroom mirror was broken, and there was blood pooling quickly on the floor. He spied two cartridge casings on the ground, and tried his best to discreetly spot the location of the wounds. He did not chalk the broken glass to a genuine struggle. This was clearly a planned assassination, a brutal and obvious one, and any damage to the room likely came from the confined space and the two or more likely three bodies moving within it at that moment. Yes, two assassins was most likely. Andreas thought he saw entrance wounds both on the chest and back. They had bracketed him to be certain, despite the danger to each other. They were either amateurish and lucky, or serious enough to risk death. He thought back on the words spoken by the little man in the pipe shop, and concluded it was the latter. And so he took light steps to the back alley door. He checked one side of the alley through a crack in the door, and then flung it open to see the other. It was empty. He heard footsteps, a running echo, but could not determine their precise location or direction. He didn't run in pursuit. Running was how you wound up in a trap, and ultimately this was not his job. The girl was his job, and chasing assassins took him away from that. May well have been the purpose of the attack. He stepped over the twins, the wounded one no longer breathing, back onto the front patio. Patrons and employees were already scrambling and scattering and calling for help. Andreas left the tavern and strolled a couple of doors down to a laundry, and took up a perch in front of one of the machines, as if waiting. He wasn't dressed ideally for this, but people needed so little help to filter someone out of their notice, and ambulances would be coming soon. He resumed his watch on the school, and then he heard a voice. It was that of Wilhelm, his keeper. The girl, Andreas. Stay with the girl. There was a fevered edge to it, as if uttered helplessly in the moment, rather like a man watching a football match. It was loud enough, distinct enough, that Andreas knew that this was not self-suggestion, but an actual voice. He almost stood up in surprise from his chair, but his characteristic calm allowed him to stay seated. Andreas did not need to look around to realize that the voice had come from nowhere in the laundry. It was a startling piece of information that Wilhelm could see and address him from far away without visible technology. But in a sense, it was the only possibility that truly explained so many odd moments over the years. Andreas had a plasticity of belief. Preconceived notions were to be obliterated at the first opposing sign. So who was he to care that five minutes before he had not ever considered the notion of minds with extended abilities? 
The idea had been imagined often enough, and it made as much sense that Wilhelm would conceal this card from him as long as possible as it did that now, in what Wilhelm continually insisted were the climactic days of his ambition. Urgency would trump the need for continued secrecy. Or had he meant to say it at all? Perhaps it was a truly compulsive warning, and hence a revealing accident. As clothing tumbled and rolled in the machine in front of him, and he kept a sideways eye on the mysterious school, Andrea speculated on that, and remembered that he should find an appropriate moment to ask the surviving twin which one he was. He could never tell them apart. Elise froze for a moment, staring at a letter. Alex looked up. She seemed to sense his curiosity. With sad calm, she turned the letter towards him. Twenty years ago this month. From my own file, it excuses me from class for a week. Why? The accident. My parents. I was seven. My God, Elise, I'm so sorry. She smiled reassuringly, and again Alex saw that combination of inner strength and a treasured grief. Both he grasped completely, stemmed from this single event. It's so funny, she said, where traces of our lives end up, like little flakes of skin that fall off us and into filing cabinets. And with that, she pushed the letter back into its appropriate place and carried on with her work. Elisa had come to the school to learn more about it for her own sake, but she had bent this goal towards helping Alex without hesitation. Both goals could be accomplished, and as they worked to complete the picture of the Lord Fogler Kinder Academy, Alex had to admit that it was improving his opinion of the great founder patron Philibert Lohr. In its earlier years, with the war still raging, some of the students were orphans in the streets, and not all even demonstrated signs of the sense. They seemed to work as an unwitting control group for the efficacy of the methods and devices, while boosting enrollment sufficiently to keep the school stable. None were abused or abandoned, but fed, housed, well-educated, and eventually allowed to graduate to higher regular schooling. But gradually, the screening and interview process for children grew more and more rigorous, and the faculty more and more credentialed. Philibert seemed to have strong relationships within the East German government that allowed his foundation to visit schools and test candidates throughout not only his own country but also other nations in the Soviet bloc. Elisa confirmed that the children often spoke of a variety of languages and dialects, which in its own way served to strengthen the importance of sensing underlying emotions. Early faculty seemed scant. The teacher in the photograph with Claremont had served as the primary educator for all children below ten. The German language specialist and the basic mathematics instructor and appeared in many pictures up through the sixties. Others 
seem to join the faculty during the late war years, and then leave again almost immediately. This was the purge, Elisa said, with an edge to her voice. Not the purge by races by the Nazis, but the purge of minds by the victors. Purge of minds? Alex did not understand the reference. Working as science teachers at an elite private school in those years would have made them targets. After the war, both the American and Soviet intelligence bureaus were tracking and gathering as many German scientists as they could. Some were bribed or cajoled. Others were deported or kidnapped, in all but name. Thousands and thousands of Germany's brightest minds, especially in rocketry, taken and divided as spoils. Much of your space race, your arms race, all began in the German rocketry program. Your economy surged forward on the technology that Germans invented, all that could have been used to rebuild Germany. I remember discussing it with Americans in college. Your country seems to view it as a happy accident of history that this wealth of talent ended up working for you. Alex was starting to understand that, like life, history grew only darker and more complex the more completely it was considered. But still no answers about Claramond. There were many more pictures. Alex could see her grow up into an adolescent, looking more and more like the Katarina he called mother. But after a picture of her at fifteen, she did not appear again. Her student record indicated that she had transferred to advanced studies at another school. Alex wanted to depart immediately for the address, but Elise calmed him again. Let us get all that we can from what is here, so we have the most questions possible to take there. What was the advanced studies? Did you attend there? No, I have never heard of it, and the last time a student was sent there was 1966. Alex felt a surprising and helpless smile creep over his face. 1966. That's the year we came to America. Checking the door to make sure no one was near, he quietly sang. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Elisa looked perplexed, Alex explained. The monkeys. The monkeys were very big when I came to America. Big monkeys? Like apes? What does this have to do with anything? Why were you singing? Flustered, Alex backed up. The monkeys. They made pop music, like the Beatles. Actually, kind of on purpose, like the Beatles. But they had this song. Then he saw her grin, hiding just at the corner of her mouth, and realized she was teasing him. They both laughed, and he wagged a mocking stern finger at her. The moment seemed to rejuvenate them. Alex thought aloud. Still, 1966, same year. Is that a coincidence? Everything is a coincidence until we discover otherwise. Alex remembered watching a demonstration of how a safe works, how the lock tumblers turned and aligned, until in a single one in ten million moment the pathway was open. 
and what was locked away could come out into the light. This was the most apt description possible for the idea that suddenly leapt from the most faraway corner of his subconscious right into his helpless mouth. Was I at this school? Elisa stopped all her work and looked at him, waiting for him to continue. He had been so stunned to hear himself say it that it took time to tease the thought into a more elaborate form. I mean, I don't remember. I don't remember anything. But I was five at the orphanage, and they took children as young as four here, and, uh... If she was here, but then how, why would... His thought collapsed under the weight of the almost infinite variety of scenarios it imagined. Elisa gave a concerned nod. It is possible, Alex. With precise organizational memory, she pried into the stack of folders and produced a list. Here are all the students under age seven enrolled in the school in 1964. Kappelmann, Imtern, Kasja, Oshner, Rogoz, and Teleki. Only one student that age added in 1965, Zweig. No Prokler, no Pike. If she changed her name, she probably changed mine. I don't know what my name was before the orphanage. They just called me Kuno. Kuno means brave. We will learn more, Kuno. That is when you may need bravery. For now, you need patience. Alex settled again. These surges of desperate curiosity were draining to him, and he was not used to staying still and focused for so long. His life and his business were built on motion, new customers every hour. The excitement of trying to seduce a stranger. He had no talent for this. Elisa seemed to be at a tireless cruising speed. This work focused and energized her, stoking an appetite that kept her searching through every footnote, straining to see illuminating connections in the volume of information. As he watched her frown her way through another page of old German data, eyes darting from row to row, he felt all his attraction and fascination and admiration of her gathering into one pure and powerful glow. Thank you, he said. She fluttered one hand in acknowledgement as she worked. And while Alex yearned to have her know just how deep his gratitude ran, he found himself unable to bring himself to disturb her from her work. So for a few moments, he just dared to let himself gaze. The staff brought refreshments, and Alex grew tired. He didn't feel so useful with his poor attention span lack of research skills and rudimentary German, and so many more questions than means to answer them, and soon, under the amplified rhythm of shuffling paper, his head started to lull. Darkness. Wait, not total. The barest slit of light somewhere near the floor. A door, so flush with the floor as to admit almost nothing. Shapes there in the dark, Sharp and mechanical, just like the file cabinets in the room around him. But more, so many more. Dusty, dusty and dark. Creaks in the floor above. And a muffled voice, a familiar one. Elisa, 
Elise is shouting in panic, somewhere far away. Alex! Her hand slammed across his cheek, bringing Alex back into the room. He saw her face, her beautiful face, now consumed with panic. You're hurting me! Guilty and alarmed, he looked down and saw his hand gripping hers, crushing and squeezing her fingers inside his palm. He pulled away immediately, feeling a sharp, scraping pain as he did. It was her ring, the watchful eye. It had gouged a piece of skin from his hand as Elisa pulled her hand free. Tears flashed in the corner of her eyes as she clutched the hand to her chest. Urgent footsteps were converging from the hallway, and she looked at him with a kind of betrayal in her eyes. Aktgeben, she hissed. Aktgeben, be careful, not what are you doing? That would have been Alex's question, because he still had no idea what had happened. When had he grabbed her? Why? And for how long had he been squeezing her unawares? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. You passed out and grabbed at the ring. Then you wouldn't hear me even when I shouted. Two administrators ran in, concerned. Alex had a flash of realization. I did hear you, but it wasn't from here. Then, before the administrators could even ask what the shouting was about, he turned to them and asked in halting German, The other file room, where is it? They looked at each other, confused, shaking their heads. This is all, they replied in deliberate English. Is everything all right? Elisa politely requested some ice and aspirin which they set about to locate. Alex, now seized with certainty, whispered to her after they left, There's another room. Don't know if they're lying or not, but there's another file room in this building. I saw it. It was like earlier, when I saw the lunch tray in the hallway. Is this part of it? The sense, I mean? Do you do this? Elisa looked at him with a new wariness. Alex even thought it contained some fear. She chose her words with care. I didn't know for certain before. I thought perhaps it was just luck. But I have only ever met one person who could do what you just did. Uncle always told me that I would meet another. Another what? Alex, this is why we have met. You are a seer. Purchase a copy of Seeing by Moonlight, visit Amazon or any online bookstore. Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle. Read by Thomas Viborg Thune.